Unwrap your gift now, but pay later. Right now at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Our elves work year-round, installing in as little as a day. Offer ends December 31st. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us on a snowy Friday. If you're out and about on the roads right now, be careful. I was coming in about 9:45 or so this morning and um it i was coming in from from the north and right around when i was on the freeway and right around glendale right around bayshore it, it all of a sudden it started snowing and then it started snowing really really hard and it was snowing even harder as it got into the city so people were driving at least when i was on the roads they were driving cautiously hard to see at least back then and snow was accumulating quickly and i understand it's it, it's spotty right now but be careful if you're out and about the first first snowfall of the year is always an issue. All right, as we have been doing all week, this is this is our radiothon to help raise money for Kids to Kids Christmas. We've had a number of different events. We did the holiday radio show. As a matter of fact, the first rebroadcast of the holiday radio show um, occurs tonight at 6 o'clock. So you can tune in and hear that. But this is an opportunity to help children in need from Wisconsin enjoy the holiday season. We are raising money to purchase toys for kids in our area. Every $25 helps two kids celebrate the season. Let's see how many kids we can help. And as we've been saying, we've got this competition that's underway amongst the different TV uh, amongst the different TMJ shows. Here, here's what we're going to do since this is the last day. And I think it's, it's kind of a, a good idea. If you make a donation between now and let's say 2.30 or so, if you make a donation, you, and the way you make donations is you go to WTMJ.com. You'll see the big banner up there, Kids to Kids, and you can make a donation. I would appreciate it if you do it in the name of my show, but it doesn't make any real difference. The important thing is you make a donation. But if you make a donation and you text me on our text line, 855-616-1620, I will give you a name check. You know, I'll, I'll do a specific shout out because we're trying to raise as much money as we possibly can. And it's it is it's the honor system. Um, I don't get to see the different donations as they come in. But if you you text me and you tell me that, hey, I, I went to the website, I made this donation. I will be delighted to give you a name check as a way of saying thank you for contributing to the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. All right. Let's get started. A lot of ground to cover. I want to start with this story that I I. I might be the only one that feels this way, but but I want to get your reaction to this. Now, uh, you will remember, a while back, there was a huge controversy in Franklin involving a, a company that was Strauss Brands. And Strauss, they're a, they're, they're a veal producer. They're a meat producer. They are a wonderful company, right? It, it's a high-quality product. They pay their employees extremely well. They are, of course, I mean, the, the, they are a slaughterhouse, I guess. But it's, I mean, you can't tell. I, I've been down to their facility. I've been past their facility. You can't tell the difference between that and, you know, the other companies that are next door to them. You, you, you just can't because it's not like it was in 1920 when Upton Sinclair wrote The Jungle. These meatpacking plants, are, at least, are completely different nowadays. But nevertheless, they've got this plant down there. They wanted 
they wanted to expand their plant. They wanted to start additional uh, production lines. They wanted to build or expand their facility. All right. Uh, this would have re- resulted in more jobs in that area. It would have helped the tax base. All right. You had a number of citizens, though, who objected to this. Uh, okay, that, that's their right. They objected. They said, no, this is going to cause additional traffic. We don't want a slaughterhouse, et cetera, et cetera. So there was a controversy involving, again, the the local officials, the local aldermen were called upon to approve this. Now, the way it ultimately turned out was that Strauss itself decided, look, if this is going to be this much controversy, if the community doesn't want us, or at least some loud complaining members of the community doesn't don't want us, fine. We, we'll, we'll find another place to build our facility. So Strauss ultimately backed off of this. So I guess the people that didn't want to see the expanded meat packing plant, they, they ended up winning. All right, so that, that's, that's all well and good. And we can argue about whether the community is better off, you know, by, by putting up this resistance to Strauss or, you know, would it have been better off if they hadn't had the objections and Strauss had just gone through it? But that's, that's, a, that's not this, this discussion. There was an, there is an older woman down in Franklin. Her name is Sherry Hanneman. And Sherry Hanneman was, I think, a supporter of the plan that Strauss had to go ahead and, and build the facility. She was a supporter of Strauss's. Now, that caused her to run afoul of the number of the citizens who were part of this group that, that wanted to oppose it. Okay, well, that's what happens. You know, you're a public official. You take positions. You know that sometimes you're going to hack off members of your constituency, and you know that there are certain things that can happen when you hack off members of your constituency. They can, I don't know, they can you know, show up at the public hearings and, and yell at you. They can send out, you know, blast emails talking about how awful you are. In extreme circumstances, they can start a recall. You know, we've seen that with school boards. They can start a recall and and get you booted out of office. They can do all those things. Well, there's this one woman in Franklin who decided that, you know, she instead of like starting a recall or whatever, she was going to file an ethics complaint with the Wisconsin Ethics Commission against this particular older woman. All right. Now, that's a whole different thing, because, you know, when you file an ethics complaint against somebody, it starts this whole process that goes. And if you've got a public official that violates ethics laws, there can be all sorts of consequences if they're found to have done that, ranging from fines to potentially referrals to the district attorney's office for prosecution or things like that. It's a big deal when you file an ethics complaint uh, against someone. So this lady who was unhappy with the fact that the older woman was a supporter of of Strauss, she files an ethics complaint against her. In the complaint, the woman alleges that the older woman became an advocate for Strauss Brands LLC when she authored and submitted an economic impact study on behalf and in support of Tra- Strauss's application for a special use permit. So and the, the older woman says, hey, I think this is going to be good for, for Strauss. All right, so the lady says, well, she's acting as an advocate for that. She then goes on in the ethics complaint to say, older woman Hanneman voted in favor of Strauss regardless of the legal and moral implications 
after she acted as an advocate for the company by providing them with a biased economic study and her votes to approve the SUP application, special use permit. Um, all right, so she she files that. So she's essentially saying she files this ethics complaint saying that, that Hanneman was acting as an advocate for the company. This is a violation of the the various rules. Oh, okay. Um, what happens then after the complaint is the Wisconsin Ethics Commission, all right, reviews it. Before they review it, though, the older woman hires an attorney to represent her. You know, she because, you know, if you're found to have an ethics violation, it could be a really big deal. So she hires a lawyer to represent her in front of the Wisconsin Ethics Commission. And the Ethics Commission looks at the complaint and dismisses it primarily due to, this is how the Journal Sentinel describes it, lack of evidence of financial gain or anything of substantial value for the private benefit of the older woman, her immediate family, or an organization with which she was associated. It says the complainant failed to allege that the older woman was associated with Strauss, as defined by the Wisconsin statutes. So in other words, the Ethics Commission looks at this and says there's absolutely nothing to it. The lady who files the complaint says, well, I understand why the complaint was dismissed and that the bar of evidence is pretty high for unethical behavior. I can admit that I don't have that kind of damaging evidence. I can admit that I don't have that kind of damaging evidence, she tells the Journal Sentinel. But that didn't stop her from filing the ethics complaint in the first place which started this whole ball rolling and required the alderman, alder woman, to go out and hire a lawyer to defend herself. Okay, so why are we talking about this? Because the alder woman who had this ethics complaint that was dismissed and the person who filed it admitted I didn't have the damning evidence against her, um, the alder woman has now filed a lawsuit seeking to get her $1,200 in legal fees from the woman who filed the complaint that had no merit. Now, the woman that filed the complaint is outraged. She says, everyone I've spoken to is blown away that this is even a thing. Why else is she coming at me? Why is she violating my First Amendment right? Well, I guess my thought on this is your, your First Amendment right, you have a right to criticize government officials. You have a right to file an ethics complaint. But when you do that and start these wheels in motion and it turns out you, it's, you, you have no real basis to do it, it, it's not that you didn't have a First Amendment right to do it. It's that should you be held responsible for what you've done. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Look, I don't I don't have a horse in this race, per se, other than I think it's it's unfortunate that, you know, you had this resistance to, to Strauss. But I don't want to talk about that. But you have an ethics complaint that is filed against a public official. The public official has to hire an attorney to respond to it, and it turns out that the ethics complaint has absolutely no merit at all. Well, okay, is it reasonable to say to the person who filed that complaint, okay, you, 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 should, you should reimburse me for the costs I had in defending myself against your complaint that had no merit? Does that chill the person's First Amendment rights? Does that mean you can't criticize public officials? My argument would be no. My argument would be, though, before you're going to, again, call for an investigation of criminal charges or file an ethics complaint that has significant sort of consequences, maybe, 
I don't know, you should have some good faith basis for believing that there really is an ethical violation and at least be able to make a cogent argument. Is the older woman wrong in responding in this way, saying, hey, I had to pay a bunch of money out of my own pocket, 1200 bucks, 1500 bucks, and I to defend myself, and I think I should be entitled to have it back. What do you think? 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. And again, contributions. This is our last day of our Kids to Kids Radiothon. Um, give me a text if you are willing to make a contribution. Just go to WTMJ.com, and if you do it in the name of the show, you can text me, and I will give you a shout-out. Our regular listener, Jeff in Fox Point, made a very generous donation. Let's get some more going. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I just... I, I think there needs to be limits. Being a public official nowadays, it, it comes with a, a lot of, of stuff. And I understand you know, people are going to do unpopular things, and I understand you're going to get people upset with you. And those people who get upset with you have lots of different rights. They can show up at the public hearings, and they can lobby you. They can start recall petitions against you. They can you know, put out blogs and send out mailings about you know, how terrible you are. And I, I get all that. That comes with the territory. That's the First Amendment stuff. But what happened in Franklin is one of the um, uh, constituent, woman in Franklin, who was very much into opposing Strauss uh, brands, getting a special use permit for a new facility, right, she took the added step of going after one of the older women and filing an ethics complaint against her, essentially alleging that, well, I mean, the actual allegation is that she voted in favor of Strauss regardless of the legal and moral implications after she acted as an advocate for the company by providing them with a biased economic study and her votes to approve the application. After this complaint gets dismissed for lack of evidence, lady says, well, I, I know why it was dismissed, and um, I can admit I don't have that kind of damaging evidence. But but she filed it anyways. So the older woman is now saying, hey, it cost me 1500 bucks or 1200 or whatever in legal fees, and, and she's suing the constituent who's now upset, saying, oh, this is terrible. They're, they're trying to chill my First Amendment rights. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Happy Friday. Yes, sir. Same to you. So, uh, as you said, it does come with the territory. However, having said that, she filed, you know, official paperwork uh, claiming ethic vi- ethics violations and le- admitted that she really didn't have hard evidence. I do believe, uh, you're a lawyer, so you would know better than me, but I do believe that the Alder woman could file for defamation of character. Well, I mean, theoretic. I mean, you have to prove, I mean, thanks to call, you're right. I mean, you, you have to prove you know, damages and things like that. And I, I'm not sure this really damaged her reputation in any material way. So that that's always a tough kind of call. But it did cost the lady, you know, $1,500. And, and there's some people that would suggest, well, she shouldn't have hired a lawyer. Well, that's easy to say. I mean, if you're, if you're like I say, a, 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 it's one thing to have somebody, you know, send out a blast email saying, hey, I, I think this is the wrong decision or whatever, or what's, what's her motivation? It's another thing when you file an official complaint, because like I say, you, you get this ethics commission looking at it, and you know, they, there's all sorts of, they could find that, okay, yeah, you did violate ethics laws, and, and here you're going to be fined, or, or maybe worse stuff can happen. So I don't think it's unreasonable when a public official gets something like this, I don't think it's unreasonable for them to, to get a lawyer to make sure that they're right 
rights are protected. And I, I guess I don't think it's particularly chilling on the First Amendment. It's the decision that they made to go out and file the ethics complaint. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, John and Franklin. Hi, John. Hello. What do you think? Well, um, I, I've worked with, uh, I've worked with Sherry Hanneman. She is the older woman. I have no, yeah, the older woman. I have no complaints um, with her uh, on a personal level at all. But what she did here, and this is what's going to get dangerous in suburban government, now that we don't have daily newspapers that people read, or even weekly newspapers that people read, so they can see what's going on. Our mayor got rid of the ethics construction that the city had. So this woman, when she saw something happening that she thought wasn't quite right and should be looked into, followed the path that was set for her because our local ethics path is gone. So she did that. Now, what a person can do is use the city's lawyer to to uh, combat that. But he, she decided not to. Mm-hmm. Instead, she has extra money, and she knows that that amount of money is crippling to certain people. And that's how she punished her, and that's the threat that we all face now. It's very dangerous, very dangerous. So you would you think she would have been better off having the taxpayers pay pick up the tab to defend the ethics complaint that had no merit as opposed to paying it herself? It's not, it's not defending an ethics complaint that has no merit. It's examining, examining a legitimate query. That was a legitimate query. Well, I, I, I found it legitimate. Well, I guess, I and, 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 ultimate, see, yeah, and, ul- I wanna... and ultimately, that's going to be, I guess, ultimately, that's going to be the, the question is, was it a frivolous complaint in the first place, or was it a legitimate inquiry? No, thanks. I mean, that's, that's I guess, what the, I guess, the, ultimately, that's what the argument is going to be. Was this, was this frivolous? Was there any merit? Now, I will tell you, when you have the person that filed the complaint who is saying publicly, that, well, I, I can admit I don't have that kind of damaging evidence. <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of like, okay, but you went ahead and filed this anyways. Now, the, the ethics structure in Franklin, I mean, maybe that's something separate to talk about. But I, I think for me, my takeaway is before you start taking the nuclear situation, you know, you, you better have evidence of, of, of this as opposed to I'm, I'm just going to make an inquiry into this, because once you file these complaints, you start this entire process going. Now, if you want to argue that public officials should, who are faced with this, that they shouldn't pick up the tab for their defense, but rather they should use the city, I guess I'd have to think that one through, but I don't think that's necessarily something that's obligated. Now, look, I don't know where this lawsuit is going to go, but I do think that I don't think it's a chilling thing for the First Amendment. I think it's before people choose to use this particular tactic, which is we are going to essentially accuse somebody of of committing some sort of violation. And that's kind of what the allegations were. She voted in favor of this, regardless of legal and moral implications, acting as an advocate for the, the company. Does it make somebody think twice before they file an ethics complaint? You know, maybe, but is that necessarily a bad thing?
Welcome back. So very glad to have you with us. We are going to um, revisit this whole Franklin issue, and maybe we'll be able to get a couple of principles on the air the early part of next week. I just think there needs to be – I understand when you're a public official, you, you leave yourself open to all sorts of complaints and criticism and things like that. But when you file an ethics complaint against somebody, that – that ratches it up to a, a whole new level. And I guess the question should be, when people do that, and it turns out that the ethics complaint uh, doesn't have merit, I mean, should there be consequences for that? And is that chilling of the First Amendment? Or is this just a way of protecting public officials who, by the way, like I say, you know, public officials are fair game. And you have a lot of people nowadays who, you know, f- run for school board, for example, and then they find themselves in the middle of controversies and accused of all sorts of stuff and subject to recalls. That's that's that kind of comes with the territory. But when you make referrals or say, well, here's here's the question. I think this person violated the ethics rules. If if you do that without evidence to support it, you know, should I don't know. Should there be some consequences? We're going to discuss that more next week, and hopefully we'll talk to one or two of the principals that are involved in it. I don't understand why public officials or public employees would choose to pick certain fights. Here is the story, and it comes from a Massachusetts town. Um, There is a library in what's the name of the place Dedham Massachusetts okay and there's a public library and this year for the first time in well like forever the librarian the head librarian has decided that they will not put a christmas tree up in the local library now there there's a, a wreath on the front door and There are other decorations that are spread across the front desk and the library shelves. Um, Screensavers show snowmen, Hanukkah menorahs, and presents. But there's no Christmas tree this year to be found in the library. And apparently what happened is that the local library branch manager um, went on social media saying that she was directed not to put the tree up this year because some people felt uncomfortable that the Christmas tree might be in the, the local library. So she said, like, like officials and my supervisors told me, <clears throat> don't put the tree up. Now, there are trees in, in some of the other public buildings as well. It's like I say, as long with like a menorah and things like that. But they made the decision that they were going to not post a tree because apparently, you know, some people, at least unnamed or identified, unidentified, decided that they did not want to put that they didn't like the tree, that they felt uncomfortable. So as a result, the reaction of the town was, okay, we're not going to put the tree up there. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the uh, WTMJ talk and text line. When, when I When I saw this story, I I admit that I just kind of shake my head at the fact that apparently the the director of the library, and this is just like a branch library, the director of the library would decide to wade into this mess saying we're not going to have a Christmas tree in this library because some people were made uncomfortable last year. Okay, well, people are uncomfortable about anything, and at some point in time, from the perspective of these public officials, 
do you always need to put grease on the squeaky wheel or can you just sometimes let the squeaky wheel continue to squeak? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is a WTMJ talk and text line. So you're the, the manager of the library system. You get somebody who complains about a local library that had a Christmas tree, and I guess you can call it whatever you want, but it's a Christmas tree in the library. It's been there year after year after year. Almost everybody, to the extent they have an opinion on it, almost everybody loves it. Everywhere we go nowadays, you see Christmas trees, right? It's the holidays. It doesn't have to, I guess, be in the public place. But the reason they took it down was solely because a couple people said they were uncomfortable. Are they doing the right thing in catering to that small percentage of people who might be uncomfortable? And, you know, in the real world, okay, who is uncomfortable about a Christmas tree or who should be uncomfortable about a Christmas tree? And by the way, like I say, they've got other sort of holiday decorations. They've got menorahs up and things like that. But apparently it is the Christmas tree which has caused somebody to be uncomfortable. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. And, and again, I, I whenever we have this kind of war on Christmas stuff, I, I understand it's not necessarily the biggest issue. But for the life of me, I don't understand why public officials allow themselves to be sucked into this. This story, and it's it's now gone national, dead on public library system in in Massachusetts and apparently there's one of these branch libraries that that they they decorate for the holidays right and they've got Christmas decorations up they've got a menorah in there but this year they were directed apparently by the library director not to put a Christmas tree up in the library because people were made uncomfortable last year now this story again it's gone I hate the phrase gone viral because it's a cliche but it's gone viral And, and now the the community kind of divided over this. Uh, I just, to me, the fact that one or two people might complain about something is not a basis to change a tradition in the first place. And at some point in time, these public officials who think, oh, my gosh, I've got a complaint from one or two squeaky wheels. Here, I have to do this. Don't they think through what the implications of this are that a lot of other people who have a different view of this are going to say, okay, why do we need to cater to the, the fringe position? Jeff, what they should do is, if it's a complaint, the complaint should be in writing along with the identification of the person or persons complaining to get the true understanding as to why it's an issue for them. I think sometimes it might be one person complaining, but that one person then becomes many people are complaining as well. Let's talk to Josh in Waukesha. Josh, you're on WTMJ. All right. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, I personally don't actually celebrate Christmas, um, but I wouldn't. I also wouldn't be offended if people put up a Christmas tree, whether it's on a public property, for example, whether it's a library or a school. The place that I draw the line is like with my children in their classes. I, I don't like it when they include Christmas uh, projects as part of the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, because it actually then excludes my child from being able to spend that time educated. So if you're not expected to participate yeah. in, you know, you can just, you don't have to look at it. Um, but, yeah. you know, and so we don't want to put up too much of a fuss, and it's not the same level as if they're putting on a drag show in the library. Well, well right, right. Or alternatively, 
if if oh, look if, if you don't if you don't celebrate thanks for calling I appreciate it. if you don't celebrate Christmas I, I get it that that's okay there's no problem with that but then can't you just look at it like okay this is a beautiful tree it has no sort of um, it has no significance to me other than the fact that oh it, it's kind of a pretty tree with lights on it and it's got you know the garland and it's got the ornaments and things like that can't you just can't you just enjoy it for what it is instead of, well, I just, I am offended by it. And by the way, who can, realistically, you know, who can be offended by that, that particular tree? And I understand, like you're saying, I, I, it's, it's a different sort of situation if you, you know, don't follow Christmas and, you know, the, the kids are doing Christmas projects. Okay, that, that's a different sort of story. But that, that's not what this is. This, it's a decoration in a library, for goodness sakes, um, just like other decorations in the library. And to me, I, I mean, I'd like to know, and I appreciate one of our texters, I'd like to know, you know, who, who is really offended by this? And then why are they offended by this? Because only if you know that, and then you can have a public discussion of this, what is it about this particular tree, this Christmas tree, these decorations, and the thing has been there, you know, forever, what is it about this tree that somebody finds so very objectionable so that they might uh, not want to go to the holidays? And, and, and again, I... You sit there, I mean, if, if I go into one of these public buildings, and I'm not Jewish, but they got a menorah up there, I, what do I care? I mean, it's, it's. am I going to complain, oh, you've got a menorah up there? A- absolutely, you know, not in these sort of situations. Now, I guess you can you you can say, well, Jeff, what if it was some satanic thing? But that's that's not what we're talking about now. This is, it's a Christmas tree. And by the way, they have Christmas trees, apparently, that are up in other public buildings in this particular community. Let's talk to Mike in Crystal Lake. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Enjoying the show. Thank you, sir. Hey, um, let me let me try to make this point. There's a people that just like to complain about everything, <laughs> and you know, just because you're offended, that doesn't mean you're right. But every year on December 25th, there's two things that happen. There's the celebration of Christmas, the holiday. And there's the celebration of Christmas, the holy day. Mm -hmm. Putting up a Christmas tree, you're celebrating the holiday. Put up a manger scene, you're celebrating the holy day. Yeah, this isn't a creche. This is a Christmas tree, yep. Right. It's it's a holiday that people celebrate that started out as a holy day and got changed. And it's, uh, there's a, you know, if if you're putting up menorahs to celebrate Hanukkah, isn't that a holy day also? And shouldn't they be restricted from putting in that? I, I don't object to them personally. No, I don't either. I think anything that celebrates happiness is, is good. Right. No, thanks. For, and, it, and the diversity of the community. And I guess that, see, that's the, that's, this is my point. And I just, uh, what I wonder is the library director here, why do you open this particular, you know, bag of wildcats? I mean, it's, it's, you gotta know in advance. Okay, I've, I've got, I got some lady or some guy somewhere who's upset that the tree is out there. Okay, so I'm going to just say we're not going to put up the tree. Do you not understand that that is going to cause a substantial blowback by the vast majority of the people who just, I, even if they don't go to the library, think that they should have the right to put up the tree. And you're exactly right as well, Mike. That that's. I mean, I guess it, it's one thing if they were again, if you have you know the baby Jesus laying in a manger and they were putting up that display inside the library. At least then you can make the argument that okay, you're promoting religion or something like that. But the Christmas tree that I'm calling it, and for all I know, 
in in Massachusetts. They call it a holiday tree. I don't know, but you know we we've got a we've got the local Christmas tree in Milwaukee. Now some people you know might want to call it a holiday tree. I I don't care. We we know it's really a Christmas tree. But to me it's this whole idea that you have the the, the squeaky wheels, these small number of people and that one or two complaints can cause this sort of reaction. At the very least, if I was the library director and I got a complaint from somebody before I just unilaterally made the decision, okay, we're pulling the trees out. This is one where maybe I go to my bosses, maybe I go to the mayor or whatever and say, well, you know, we've got a couple complaints about this Christmas tree or one complaint or whatever it is. You know, maybe we should air this out in public and and let's find out what the objections are because maybe there really is 55% of the population that can't stand the fact that you'd have the tree out there. But on the other hand, my guess is it's one or two cranks that are looking to try to you know, find something to be offended by. You know, the people I describe as the perpetually offended and the politically correct. And you don't always have to bow down to those small number of squeaky wheels, do you? If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Just I, I posted something earlier today. It, it's so interesting that now... Now that Jennifer Doro has decided, and she's, of course, the, the Waukesha County judge, uh, now that she's decided that she's going to run for Wisconsin Supreme Court, at this point in time, you, you have the left. She's a conservative who desperately, desperately, desperately wants to win that seat so they can take ideological control of the Supreme Court. So you've got the left and their allies who are, are now decided, okay, we're going we're gonna to try to take down Jennifer Doro. And this image, she's a great judge. We're, we're going to go after her. So what's going on, I believe, is you have, like, the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, state Democrats and others, funneling information to some of their allies in the media, and then that turns into, like, negative news stories. The latest one was this story about how, well, Jennifer Doro let this guy turn himself in on a domestic abuse charge, and you know, when when he had the time to turn himself in, what he ended up doing is he went down to Illinois and he ended up stabbing people. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, well, all right. To her credit, you know, Jennifer Doro is pushing back on this. What happened is you had a 36-year-old guy who um, was sentenced to four months in Waukesha County's Huber Work Release Facility. Right. This is a guy who misdemeanor domestic abuse. It was misdemeanor domestic abuse. The guy had no criminal record at all. He was prosecuted. He was convicted of three misdemeanor counts of battery, criminal damage to property. But these were misdemeanor counts. The prosecutor recommended, I think, 60 days in in Huber, which is work release. Doro doubled the penalty. She gave him four months in Huber. Okay. So she then gave him two days to report to the work release facility. Okay, two days to report the work release facility. Because, by the way, it was a work release facility. So he was going to be able to get out to go to work anyways. But this is not an unusual sort of thing. First offense, misdemeanor. And, and here, okay, you got two days to, to show up. So what he does is he goes and he, and he commits a crime. But now it's interesting. The Wisconsin Democratic Party, I'm looking at the story, criticized Doro, saying she displayed poor judgment that put a victim of domestic violence and their family in direct danger. How interesting to me that you have the Wisconsin Democratic Party, which is dominated by liberals who hate the idea that anybody should go to prison, is now objecting because Judge Doro allowed a guy with no criminal record two days to report to jail on a first offense misdemeanor. Now, here is the deal. Fine. 
If that's going to be the standard, okay, let's look at all the other judges who are running for Supreme Court, and let's look at all the judges, say, in Milwaukee County, who have, I don't know, taken a lot more serious offenders and put them on probation with no work release, allowed them to continue on bail, or have sentenced them to incredibly soft things. It's just so interesting now that you have, okay, now that Jennifer Doro is probably the front runner to be the next state Supreme Court justice, now we're going to try to portray her as something that she's not. And it's interesting that the news media has, again, decided to get in bed with the left that's funneling, I believe, funneling them these stories. So I'm sure Judge Doro expected it when she got involved. I'm just surprised that it's been in this intense this quick. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Okay, we're getting this question, Mike Spaulding. Um, if, for people who were listening about an hour ago, about an hour and a half ago, somebody dropped off a bunch of food outside our, our offices here and. Mm-hmm. That nobody went out and picked it up for about a half hour or so, and um, finally we, we had somebody who was brave enough to to just go check it out, and it turned out to be what food lunch lunch from Sobelman's outstanding. It absolutely was. I don't normally eat a cheeseburger at twelve thirty in the afternoon on a uh, a weekday, but I certainly enjoyed. A number it. of people are asking about that, and then the question is, did you eat? And I said no. The, the time. The timing just didn't work out because I don't eat when I'm on the air. It didn't stop my producer, Charlie, from eating, and that's fine. But no, I, so I didn't get any of that, but everybody else did. There's, I think there's a couple in the fridge still, if you're well, – <laughs> yeah, well, I'm no, just saying. No, no, well, again, that, that's okay. By the, by the time 3 o'clock rolls around, I guess you could put it in the microwave and stuff. But no, I just appreciate that. So everyone's wondering what we were in the bag. So that's good. It was food. Yeah, cheeseburgers, the way to a radio person's heart. Absolute, free food. Ab- free, well, free food. And see, I, again, I just – I did something – that I, I rarely do is we, we give free publicity on this. There were, it's so funny because Krispy Kreme was great at this. Krispy Kreme would never pay for radio advertising, but what Krispy Kreme would do is they would bring, and I, I'm only giving them the advertising because I want to tell the story. They would bring like free food in to all these radio hosts. They, they bring in donuts and everybody would go, Oh, I love it. We have Krispy Kreme donuts and stuff. And they'd give them thousands of dollars of essentially free advertising for, for like eight bucks worth of donuts and things like that. So, I, I just I, I generally don't do that, but I, I know I know Dave Sobelman, and I'm sure it, it wasn't the free advertising. It was, hey guys, welcome to downtown Milwaukee, and here it is. Yeah, absolutely. And, we want to thank Vince Vitrano. He did something. I don't know what levers he pulled or buttons he pushed or whatever it was to get the burgers, but I can assure you, they were all eaten. All right, there you go. Except for a couple that might be in the refrigerator if I should choose to have one. If okay. you hurry up to get them. Well, no, we'll, we'll we'll pass on that. Thank you. All right, let me see. I made this offer at the beginning of the program. Today is the final day of our. Kids to Kids Christmas Radiothon, and of course, everybody knows about the Kids to Kids Christmas program. What we do is we encourage people to donate toys, which are then distributed to underprivileged, needy children. It's a wonderful cause. We've been doing this for 17 years. Matter of fact, I'm going to be out doing. I'm going to be out Century in Delafield next Thursday for three hours, helping to try to collect toys. But right now, all week, we have been doing a radiothon where we encourage you to call in. Easiest way to distribute to donate is to go to our website, WTMJ. Com. You'll see the Kids to Kids Christmas banner. You click on that, and then we have the different shows, and you can donate in the name of each show. My, my deal is between now and like 2.30, for anybody who calls in and makes a donation, I will be delighted to do you a name, give you a name check and say a public thank you. Um, we've been doing that. Uh, Dick and Grafton, 
One of our regular listeners says he just donated $50 to kids to kids. Uh, that's actually Dick from Shawano, who was actually down here, I think, the other day watching part of the show. So we appreciate that. And again, um, anybody... Anybody who wants to make a donation, you don't you don't have to do that. But if you just send me a text telling me that you've made that donation, I have an opportunity to do it. I will give you a public shout out and a public thank you. All right. Let us talk about I want to talk about the flu. Oh, what a bummer on a Friday. Well, all right. We discussed yesterday the fact that um, between the resurgence of the latest variation of covid and this respiratory disease that's going around and hitting kids, and the flu season. And, and this has been a particular, it's shaping up to be a particularly aggressive flu season. What we see is that the number of hospitalizations are, are going up. Nothing like it was at the start of COVID, but still they, they are in fact going up. One of the things that doctors and public health officials have been doing is saying, okay, look, here, here's the deal. Flu cases in Wisconsin and nationally are spiking. And what they're saying is that, you know, people need to be able to protect themselves. And it's looking like that the flu is taking off more than a month earlier this year than each of the previous four years. And it's already reaching or surpassing the peak activity level of three of those years. So local doctors are now saying this is the time to get vaccinated. Now, I'm not talking about that. This isn't the covid booster. This is your traditional flu shot that lots of us get every year. And yet, despite the fact that people, you know, the flu shot is available the flu shot is not one of these new things like the, the COVID vaccine. So you got a lot of people, I get it, you know, didn't want to get the COVID vaccine because they thought it wasn't appropriately tested. You know, you had all these different concerns. That's not true with the flu shots. Now, the flu shot varies every year. Some years they're better than others at identifying exactly what the flu strain is going to be. And, and they're more effective than others. But I, I will tell you for just the longest time, and, and part of this is just because I've, I've never had an adverse reaction to the flu shot, I routinely get the flu shot. And I got my flu shot about a month ago. Does that guarantee that you're not going to get the flu? No, it doesn't. But it does, and guarantee is a tough word, but it makes it more likely that if you get the flu shot and you happen to contract the flu, that it's not going to be anywhere near as bad as it otherwise would be. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, had the flu shot, got the flu. But instead of just one of those things where for three or four days you're laying there, first of all, you're afraid you're going to die, and then you're afraid that you're not going to die, it was a deal where, okay, it was it was not pleasant, but it was mild and it was over like in 24 hours. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. As somebody who, again, doesn't doesn't have adverse reactions, I never had an allergic reaction to the flu shot, so I appreciate that puts me in a sort of different category. But for me, this is almost a no-brainer. Every year when the flu shot comes around, they, they make it easy to get, and I get it just because I think it gives me a level of protection. So... Are you going to get the flu shot this year? Have you gotten the flu shot? Why or why not? In particular, you know, why not? Because I, I am I am intrigued by this, and I understand that there's a certain percentage of the population that has adverse reactions and allergic reactions, and and it it, it involves a risk. But for most of us, you get the flu shot, 
And then you've got this added degree of protection that's there, and most of us have little or no reaction to it. And I guess I confess, I don't understand why people who don't have that allergic reaction to flu shots, and they've been around forever, why people make the decision to go unprotected in the flu season, especially a flu season like this one is shaping up to be, where a lot of people are getting sick. So flu shot, yay or nay, and if no, why? 855-616-1620, we discuss. 855-616-1620, that's a WTMJ talk line. All right, Steve from Cudahy just says, I just donated $50 to your show for the Kids to Kids uh, Radiothon. Long-time listener and texter, so thank you very much, Steve. Again, if you make a donation between now and like 2.30 or so, well, we'll give you an on-air name check. We'll give you a, we'll do you a shout-out. Uh, the easiest way to do it is just go to our website, WTMJ.com. See the big banner that says Kids to Kids Christmas Radiothon. Just scroll down, and you can see the different shows. Mine is listed there as well. Make a donation, uh, 25 bucks, 50 bucks, 500 bucks, 5,000 bucks. We'll take whatever. Very much appreciated. 855-616-1620. Okay. Um, the, the flu is back. The flu is bad this year. Now, it, the flu is different than COVID, but public health officials are saying, hey, people need to get the flu shot. The flu shot is, of course, different than the COVID booster. This, the flu shot has been around forever. I, I confess, unless you've got, unless you have an allergic reaction to the shots like this, I don't understand why people don't get the flu shot. Will it stop you from getting the flu? Not necessarily, but they say if you get the flu, it's going to make it a lot better if you have the shot. Denise in Oak Creek. Denise, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Um, I plan on getting my flu shot in January. I cannot get it right now because I had COVID in October. Sure. And in the course of, of getting COVID, they did the monoclonal antibody right. therapy. Right. And I can't have any vaccines for 90 days. Right. Right. But you will be getting, but your plan is once that 90 days time period blows, you're, you're going to get it. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. I'm going to get it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. No, th- thanks for the call. Well, hopefully, I mean, hopefully, you know, you you won't pick up the flu. Then, right? And I guess that's the point. I mean, I understand. There's all sorts of like medical circumstances. If the doctor is saying, "Okay, look, you've had this treatment, and you know, don't get this for 90 days," it's kind of like I, I, I'm not a doctor, and I don't play one on the radio. But if, if you've had if you've had COVID, they tell you, I believe, to to wait a while, I don't know if it's the 60 or 90 days or whatever, if you've had COVID recently, they tell you to wait, you know, X amount of time before you get the booster. Those are things that you check with your physician on. Let's talk to Jackie in Sheboygan County. Jackie, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Happy Friday. Same to you. Um, So the very first lecture that I attended when I started medical school was a lecture call, and I hope I can say this, it was entitled, Get Your Flu Shot, Dumbass. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> it was the most informative. It was a 30-minute fast and dirty lecture on on the science of the flu vaccine right. and why we didn't have an option. And, I mean, unless you were allergic to eggs, yeah. chicken eggs, that was the only, that was the only acceptable reason. Um, and we all had to get it. And at the end, the professor said, you have one week to prove to me that you have it. Okay. Dismissed. <laughs> and like, I mean, we all wanted to salute. Like, what do we do? I mean, it's, it's, very, it's very strict. Yeah. Well, ja- so, ja- Jackie, are you, are you a physician now? Are you a physician now? Yeah. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So when you're talking to patients, do you, do you get resistance from people about the flu shot? Well, docs, you know, should should I get it or not? Do you still get resistance from people? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I get a lot of the. Uh, oh, Jackie, did we lose you? Or my neighbor got okay. the flu. Okay. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So I got you know a lot of people will tell me I got the flu shot and I got sick. Right. Um, no, you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. Um, when you first get vaccinated against something, when your immune system can react. Sure. And um, sometimes it'll go down a little bit, your your immunity, and then you'll pick up whatever's in the area. That's sure. not uncommon. Um, so, or if you have, if maybe you've already contracted it, but it really hasn't, the symptoms haven't started yet. Yeah. You get vaccinated and it can, you know, it can knock out, it's kind of like a one-two punch mm-hmm. against your immune system. So things like that can happen, but you you can't actually get a virus from a vaccine because vaccines contain dead viruses. We used to have um, vaccines that had, like the polio vaccine, for for example, had um, a virus that was it was nearly dead. Um, it was more like a disabled, a very very disabled virus, is what it was termed. Right. And there were instances years and years ago of people contracting polio from the polio virus sure. from the polio vaccine. That doesn't happen anymore. Right. That hasn't happened in decades. Right. Um, and but people remember that stuff and they remember grandma telling the story years ago about the neighbor kid. And, right. And those things persist. And it's really unfortunate. Uh, vaccines are incredibly safe. Um, I'm one of those people that if I could have gotten six booster shots by now for COVID, I would have. Right, right, right. <laughs> I haven't yeah. qualified for that many. So, so your takeaway, um, your yeah, the, your bottom line takeaway is get your flu shot, dumbass. That, that's kind of where we stand, huh? You know, that was the best flipping lecture I have ever attended. <laughs> okay, good enough. Thanks, for, good, Jackie, so I appreciate good. it. No, thanks for the call, I appreciate it. Okay, let's get a different perspective here. Um, Chris in Cedarburg. Hi, Chris, you're on WTMJ. I am good. <laughs> okay, now the, 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 our doctor, our doctor Jackie says, you know, you you got to get the flu shot. Now, I don't think you necessarily That's agree so with her. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, we are not a cattle drive here in our household. And I'll tell you what, my uh, my dad is ninety one, and my mom is eighty five, and uh, we come we had come home from a trip, and they were missing in action. They were so deathly ill that they I had to call around and try and find where they were because of the reaction and mm-hmm. whether they be farmers and it's just the way it is i don't need any more garbage in my body i also take care of the elderly and um in the medical field but i i, I mm-hmm. we, it our opinion is we don't need any more garbage i mean it, and okay. if i don't feel well or my parents don't feel well they're responsible enough to stay home stay away we have your suit right. go to bed you right. know, it's just, it's just, no, we, oh. we, we, it's just, somehow we've made it this long, and how my dad has made it to 91 without, <laughs> got I don't it. know. But, but, yeah. Okay, got it. No, okay, no, thanks for the call, Chris. I, and look, and, and, and I understand, and that's why I'm always interested when I do these kind of topics to get the different perspective. Because, like I said earlier, when we had the COVID, the, the COVID vaccine and those booster, that was a different. That's that to me is a different conversation. Now, I, I'm. I got vaccinated. I got boosted, um, and I, I've never had any problems with that. And I will probably do that on a regular basis as well. Does it stop me from getting COVID? I, I don't know, but I do believe that 
I, I guess I don't think it, it hurts. Now, maybe five or ten years from now, I, I will, if I'm still around five or ten years from now, I'll have a completely different perspective on that. But, I, again, I, I don't have reactions to those things, so my reaction is, is why not? And having gotten the flu a long time ago before I started getting regular, regular flu shots and just remembering how sick I was, and have I not had the – can I say that over the last 15 years that I've been getting flu shots that I've never gotten the flu? No, I think I have a couple times, but it's been a minor sort of thing. And I guess from my perspective, I'd rather be a little sick than a, a lot sick, even if it's not going to be something life-threatening. So anyhow, you can decide for yourself. I mean, again, I don't play a doctor on the radio. You can decide for yourself – Although the public health officials, and I understand that there's lots of controversy involving recommendations, they're saying this year, as much as any year, it's important to get your flu shot because the flu is back in a big way and we want you healthy as possible. All right, um, we're doing our Kids to Kids Radiothon. I promise people shout-outs if you go to WTMJ.com and make a donation. Um, here is, uh, let's see, Jackie Joe Farms of Elkhart Lake, Jacqueline and Joel. They donated $100 um, to the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. I appreciate that. So in the next hour or so, if more of you can see fit to do that, we'll we'll take some time and we'll give you the public shout-outs as well. It is a wonderful cause. Back with more in just a moment. And this, of course, is the final day of our Kids to Kids Christmas um, Radiothon, raising money to help purchase toys for kids in our area. Um, go to WTMJ.com, click on the banner. You can donate in the name of a show. Lots of people have been doing it since we started at noon. And I'll, I'll give you a shout-out if you make a contribution. So I appreciate that. It is a wonderful, wonderful cause. All right. Now, I want you to think about this over the news break. Because we're not going to spend a lot of time with it when we come back. But I want you to think about this. The final Jeopardy answer is December 9th, 1965. December 9th, 1965. I will give you the question when we come back after the news. Mike, I've got one of those situations. I've got three hours of material. I've got 90 minutes of show left so we're, we're going to move through stuff. But it's a good problem to have as opposed to we've got three hours of show left and i got 90 minutes of good material. Better to have it and not need it than – what is it? Better to have it and not need it than not have it and need it? I, okay. I, Why not? You kind of lost me there. But when we come back, we start with that. The final Jeopardy answer, December 9th, 1965. It will make you feel old. Stick around. Okay. We're talking smack now on our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. Marvin texts in and says, Jeff, I just donated 50 bucks. I challenge John B. of Menominee Falls to at least match that if he's interested. All right, so that's it. John B., if you're listening, or if somebody who knows John B. of Menominee Falls, call him up. Say, he just got called out on the radio. All right, 50 bucks. Thank you, Marvin. Um, we appreciate that. That's kind of fun. All right, the final Jeopardy answer is December 9th, 1965. And interestingly, a number of you have gotten this, and I, I take my, my hat off to you. The answer is, when did a Charlie Brown Christmas first appear on TV? And the answer is December 9th of 1965. It was, of course, like the first Charlie Brown animated special, and I, I just, I got to tell you, that was, that was 57 years ago. 
I was a kid. I was a young kid. But I remember when the Charlie Brown Christmas special, you know, aired. And, and of course, Peanuts, the comic strip, was a really, really big thing at that time and went on to be a big thing for years and years. But there was something about that Charlie Brown Christmas special that really captured people's attention. Now, nowadays, it, it's it's a streaming service. I think if you want to see it, you've got to have the, the streaming service, the, the appropriate streaming service. But a Charlie Brown Christmas debuted... 57 years ago today. Okay, just one segment, because we've got a lot of material to cover before 3 o'clock. But there, there's, you know, things come and go. There, there's there's shows that, that come and go, and they might be really hot for a little while. And then there's stuff that has incredible longevity. A Charlie Brown Christmas is one of those shows. It's something that really is is timeless, I remember how cool I thought it was when I watched it when I was a kid, and I can remember how cool it was I thought when I, I watched it as a young adult and an older adult, and, and now now it, it's it's one of these things that speaks to people my age, and I think it still speaks to you know the, the kids the the four and five and six and seven and eight and nine year old kids. It's one of these things that you know when it comes on. Families can watch it. It speaks to everybody. It is timeless. And my question, 855-616-1620, what is it about that particular show? What is it, in your opinion, that has made it so timeless? That's given the fact that, you know, it's been around for 57 years, and it is arguably just as popular now as it was when it first debuted. What is it about that show that just makes it so popular. I think there's a couple things, but I'm curious, why do we still love the Charlie Brown Christmas special? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Seven years ago today, a Charlie Brown Christmas premiered on CBS. And here's a couple of the, the, the background stories of this. Um, they The network thought it was going to be a bomb. And this, this was the first Charlie Brown special. They thought it was going to be a bomb. If you watch it, the, the animation is quirky. There's no laugh track. They didn't hire trained voice actors. It was actual kids. And one of the pieces of trivia is that the guy who is the voice of of Charlie Brown, Peter Robbins, who had sort of a troubled life, um, he was nine years old at the time. He passed away in January of this year at the age of 65. But um, that that's it, it was no voice actors. It was the cranky animation. They, they just weren't sure. And, and CBS thought they had a bomb on their hands. They thought, okay, we're going to put this out there. It's not going to go anywhere. And um, over 15 million households tuned in to watch it when when it first aired and it's now gone on to be this incredible incredible success this year if you want to watch it it's it's not available on um on free tv you you need apple tv it's so it's airing on apple tv but it's streaming there and i i know this is undoubtedly i think this i think this weekend it's it's on my schedule um i think fran and i are going to sit down i want to watch the new christmas story um update that they have that's getting good reviews that's on uh hbo max and then we've got apple tv too i think we'll watch charlie brown christmas as well so that's that's when things, if we can find a couple moments to ourselves and the busy holiday schedule, I think that's on the list. But what, what, what is it about the Charlie Brown Christmas special that makes it so attractive? We are being swamped here with text. Jeff, for me, it's the spectacular music. 
Well, there's no question about it. I mean, the 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 acclaimed jazz soundtrack, I think, is just definitely a winner. And again, it's sort of like when Charlie was playing the, the bump music. You hear that, and you instinctively, you know what it's from. I mean, you just you you can't you can't miss it. It is one of a kind. All right, Jeff. I think it's because it's so genuine, coming from the view of the children. I. I think there's an element to that as well. You know, so many of the Christmas specials, the holiday specials, whatever you want to call them, they're, they're about talking snowmen. And they're about, okay, well, this is the, we, we've got Rudolph. And they're about Santa. And they're about the Grinch. This, I think one of the things that gives this this timelessness is the fact that it's it's it really approaches this from um, a perspective of the, open embrace of the birth of Christ, which I think is, is something that you don't see that often. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But it, it's it's overtly religious. It makes no apologies for that. Matter of fact, that's the big conclusion where, you know, Charlie Brown is like, doesn't anybody know what the meaning, what Christmas is all about? And then you've got, you know, Linus, who says, yeah, I can tell you what, you know, Christmas is all about. And he takes the stage by himself under a spotlight, and he just promotes, he proceeds to quote verbatim the Christmas story from the book of Luke. You know, it's just, and, and this is, I'm not sure you could do something like that nowadays, because there would be people saying, oh, we've got these overly, overtly religious overtones and things like that. Charlie Brown is unapologetically you know, religious. It it is the Christ story, and and that's what it's told from, and it's told from the perspective of kids who are, I, I think, trying to grapple with the the materialism and the gifts and and the real meaning. I think that's one of the things that really, you know, gives it. I think as as much potential as it has and, and makes it timeless. Jeff, I think it's timeless and relatable among um, all age groups because it's pure entertainment. Well, yeah, I think that there's. It is pure entertainment, and there's something, there's really something for everyone in it. Jeff, for me, I love Charlie Brown. It's the innocence. Um, by the way, the reason so many people know the answer to when it first, by the way, um, it was on Facebook today. That's why people know the answer to it. Okay, Jeff, um, I love Charlie Brown. It's when Linus tells Charlie Brown what Christmas is all about. Yeah, quoting from the book of Luke, I still get choked up. Yeah, I think that there is an element to that. Doesn't matter how many times you've seen it, you just kind of take a pause and go, "Wow." Um, yeah, Jeff, I always felt there was a strange, surreal atmosphere about the animation and the soundtrack. Lots of quiet spaces and thoughtful dialogue. It, it is. There, there's no question about it, and it's, it's and it's sort of crude animation. Don't get me wrong, but yes, there's those pauses that are there. It is certainly not something that is overproduced, which is probably why CBS thought they had a flop on their hands. Wrong. Uh, let's see. Diane says, uh, "I just think that people love it because of the warm feeling we get when Linus tells Charlie Brown what Christmas is all about." All month, we are all in a hurry-up mode trying to get everything done, but this is the core reason for Christmas. Um, Jeff, I love the Peanuts special. It's the nostalgia of being a kid. There are programs about kids and adults are in the background. It's a simpler time, but it always had real connections and issues that kids have. And the music, the music is just perfect. I agree. Jeff, to me, it's the simplicity and the basic message that it gives us. The meaning is timeless. Um, yeah, which is one of the reasons why the, the show is timeless. Um, yes, no question about it. A couple people are pointing out that you can get it for free 
on the Apple TV app for a couple days before Christmas. You just scan a code when you want to watch it. You have to download the Apple TV app, and obviously they're hoping you're going to stick around. So there's there's ways you can watch it um, without subscribing to Apple TV. Jeff, the Charlie Brown Christmas reminds me of when I was a kid. Um, yeah, there's no question. Jeff, I knew the date because I'm old. My family watched it that night. Well, 15 million families watched it that night, and millions of people have been watching it ever since. You know, and my guess is, just my guess, I think, um, I think one of the things that's going on is that, you know, 15 years from now, I think there will still be millions of people that are watching it, and it's just because of that timelessness. Who thought that this thing would be thriving and growing you know, 57 years later? And I'm not sure anybody at CBS did, but if you love the Peanuts gang and you love the, somebody just said nostalgia, you love all this stuff, there's no question about it. Um, it's, it's a winner, and Apple TV has it this year. Back with more in just a minute. When we come back, guy at Olive Garden got fired. I'll tell you what he did. Can you relate? Stick around. Okay, still another half hour, 40 minutes or so. Time for shout-outs. Make a donation to the uh, Kids to Kids Christmas campaign in the name of the show and send me a text telling me you did it, and I'll give you a shout-out over the radio. Lots of people have been doing that over the course of the last hour or two. All right, here is the story. There, let me take it from the perspective of a customer. Nothing more frustrating than going to a restaurant and you sit down and you have to wait for the waiter or waitress to show up. You have to wait for your food to show up. You know, you're just, you get frustrated because, well, you know, it, it shouldn't take this long. Well, one of the reasons nowadays it takes so long is a lot of times, not always, but many times the waiter, the, the restaurant is short staffed, right? They, they have trouble finding people to begin with. And then what happens is people will call in and say, I'm not coming in. And maybe the excuse is I don't feel good. Maybe the excuse is my dog died. Maybe the excuse is I've got this or that or whatever. But it's a huge problem because you've got all these people that come in. They've got expectations. You know, they want their meals. They want service. And they really don't care if if you don't have enough waiters, you don't have enough cooks, or you don't have enough busboys or whatever. They want what they want. And it's a huge problem for restaurants in general, but businesses in general and, and restaurants in particular. And part of the problem, let us be honest, is people who call in sick at the last minute, many times they're not sick. It's just you got a better deal. Ah, I'm a little bit hungover. I don't feel like going into work or, hey, you know, so-and-so's in town. I want to go out. I just I don't feel like going into work. Let's be honest. That's what drives a lot of this, maybe even more than people who are actually sick. So here's the story. Kansas, there's this manager of an olive garden who has been fired. Why has he been fired? He sends a mess, and apparently he had it up to here. He's had a huge problem with employees calling in sick at the last minute or calling in at the last minute and saying they're not coming to work and giving all sorts of excuses, some of which might be valid, but many of which are clearly just they don't want to come into work. So he sends this email. From now on, if you call off, calling that they're not coming in, if you call off, you might as well go out and look for another job. The message read, he said, we are no longer tolerating any excuse for calling off. The manager said, if you're sick, you need to prove it to us. If your dog died, you need to bring him in and prove it to us. If it's a family emergency and you can't say too bad, well, you need to go work somewhere else. So the manager sends this out. 
Olive Garden gets it, and they fire the manager. They say, okay, we strive to provide a caring and respectful work environment for our team measures, members. The message is not aligned with our company's value. We have parted ways with the manager. Okay, so they say they don't like the tone of the email. But to me, the larger story is, I mean, how, how do you, is the guy wrong with saying, look, now he, he phrased it in a terrible, terrible way. But is the manager of the restaurant wrong when he says, wait a minute, you know, and this is perhaps how we would have phrased it. We have lots of people who are calling in sick at the last minute. And, you know, quite candidly, we don't want you to come into work if you are sick. But if you're if you're not sick and you're using that as an excuse, you know, we're we're going to require you to prove it in some way, shape or form. If it's a family emergency or that, you know, we're going to require you to prove it. Is the manager wrong? Now, again, I understand the, the tone of it. If your dog died, you better bring him in. The tone of it is, is flip. And I understand maybe why Olive Garden gets upset with this. But given the fact that you're, you're in a business and like you're the manager of business, in this case, the manager of a restaurant, and you got to arrange staffing. And I can just imagine what it's like all of a sudden. Let's say, OK, tonight's Friday night. You got a busy Friday night. It's a fish fry or you're. you're Let's not at Olive Garden necessarily, but okay, you're the manager of a restaurant. There's a fish fry you're expecting. You've got reservations for people. You're going to do maybe 200, 200 tables, 100, whatever it's going to be. And all of a sudden, you have, I don't know, 30% of your workforce at the last minute call in with excuses why they're not coming in. Now, maybe they're legitimately sick. But a lot of them are probably saying, oh, I just don't feel good when you know that they're going to be going out somewhere else. Is it unreasonable for a manager to come out and say, you, you know what? If you say you're sick, I'm going to require some sort of, of proof of that. We don't want you to come to work if you've got 102 fever, but we're going to want you to have some sort of proof. If if you're calling in sick because, uh, again, you your, your car is broken down, we want to have some proof of that. Is that an unreasonable thing for a manager to do? And how how are managers supposed to cope with this? Because, I, I, I mean, I get it. I, you, you've got a big night that's going on, and all of a sudden, 30% of your workforce at the last minute has decided that they're going to, you know, again, not show up. You know, how, how do you deal with that? Because the customers are going to come in, and the customer is going to say, well, look, I, I want a certain experience here, and I appreciate that you're, you know, what, where, where is my food? Why do I have to wait for my table? Where is my waiter? Where is my waitress? Is it unreasonable nowadays for managers to say, look, we, we can't operate a business like this, and I have certain expectations? Now, again, the, the way the particular uh, guy phrased this, I think it's you know quite likely that, I mean, I understand it was a little bit flip and things like that, but the underlying sentiment of you need to show up, and if you call in at the last minute, there's going to be issues. I don't see anything at all wrong with that. Now, maybe there's a way that you, again, can phrase it better, but I, I feel so sorry for managers nowadays because how do you deal with this when you have certain staffing needs? And the restaurant is an example, but we can give you all sorts of other examples as well. This is my business, and we've got people who just don't show up. Uh, that's the problem. And, again, if they're sick, that's true. But let's be honest. Most of the times, or at least many of the times, when people call in sick, they're not sick. They've just got a better offer. Back with more. He, oh, here's uh, one of our texters says, Jeff, the message was right. He, the way he phrased it was wrong. I, 
I agree with that as well. Um, all right. Don Z just donated $75. $75 to Kids to Kids Christmas. Thank you. Like you said the other day, you are my companion on the radio, except politically. All right. See, we can broach, we can cross political aisles for a good cause. So thank you, Don Z. $75. If you donate to Kids to Kids Christmas, just go to WTMJ.com. Go down to the Wagner page. Click that, and if you send me and tell me you did it via text, I will give you a shout-out in the hour remaining of the program. All right, when we come back, oh, we got a lot of good stuff coming up, including local TV, craft beer, and, of course, Pop Culture Corner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. When I was growing up back in the day, uh, before Al Gore invented the Internet, and even before you had cable TV, there were uh, – if you were a news junkie, and I was a news junkie at a, a young age, which perhaps explains a lot of stuff, but there were – you know, everybody knew who the big anchor people were at the time they were anchor men. You had Walter Cronkite on, on CBS and you had Chet Huntley and David Brinkley on uh, Chet Huntley and David Brinkley on, um, on NBC. And then you had, you know, the, the anchors on ABC. Oh, here we go. We got a, again, this is the last hour that I'm going to be on for our radiothon and hundred dollars donated from our friends. They, the kilted couple who show up at our radio telethon, our radio broadcasts all the time. And so thank you very much again. Um, any donations that come in in the next hour, if you text me, I will be glad to give you a shout out. I appreciate that for our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. And just so you know, I mean, I, I, this, I'm this i a big believer in it. It's not something we just tout as something we're supposed to do on the radio. And today, my wife, Fran, and I, we made, our, we made a donation to uh, the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign as well. So anything you can do, we would much appreciate it. Okay, so getting back to my thought, you have like Walter Cronkite, and you had Huntley and Brinkley. And people knew who the anchors were. Local news was probably the same as well. I mean, think back you know, um, years and years ago. The, the local news anchors were institutions. And, and you knew who the news anchor was, Jerry Taft, for years and years on, on Channel 12. And then, you know, on, on Channel 4, you had, well, Mike Goucher was the anchor for the longest time, and John McCullough. You know, you, you think you know who the anchors are. Same thing on Channel 6. The, the anchors were really like parts of, of people's lives, and people actually tuned in to watch to watch the anchors. I was thinking about this because there was a story well. Um, Latoya, Latoya Washington, who has been one of the anchors at Channel 12 for, for 20 years, um, announced that she's leaving, I believe, at, at the end of the year. You know, she joined Channel 12 in December of 2002 as a co-anchor of their morning newscast, and then she anchored the station 6 p.m. newscast, and then for more than a decade, she's been the anchor on their 5 p.m. newscast. So, um, you know, this is, I mean, she's been an established voice in the community, and I don't mean to make this about uh, Toya Washington, but I, I, I was thinking, you know, you have nowadays... You have news anchors that that come and go. It's rare that you have somebody that stays at, at a station, for example, in Milwaukee. It's rare, relatively rare, that they stay there, you know, forever. 
Um, there, there are, of course, exceptions. My friend Carol Meekins has been at Channel 4 for a long time, Charles Benson as well. But more and more anchors kind of come and go. And I've been thinking about this for, for a while. And it's the question really is, what is it that drives people to watch local news? Is it, is it because of, of the anchors, the reporters, the personality, or is it something different? And I guess what I would like to discuss with you for just one segment is, you know, nowadays from the perspective of television news, does it matter to you who, does it matter to you who the anchor was or who the anchor is? And so if you find out that, gee, I kind of like X person who's the news anchor and they're leaving, is that going to make you consider looking at, at other stations or is it just a matter of habit? Gee, I like the way Channel Blank does the weather, so that's what I tune in on. And it really doesn't matter whether it's anchor person X or Y or Z who's doing it, it's other stuff, or I like the I like the way they cover the news. I, I like the stuff that they emphasize, or I like their investigative reporting, or I like the consumer stuff that they do. And who really cares whether it's anchor X, Y, or Z? Or is it still, boy, I I want you know I I I tune in because I look forward to seeing this person at five o'clock, or I look forward to seeing this person at six o'clock, or this person at ten o'clock. Do the anchors themselves matter anymore? They did at one period of time. Do they still matter now? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Uh, earlier this week, Toya Washington, who's been at uh, Channel 12 for like 20 years, announced that she was, was leaving and we don't, don't know where she's going. But it really got me thinking about news anchors. And and, and more and more, there, there is a kind of a turnover. I guess my question is, do news anchors, do they move the needle? From your perspective of watching TV news, does it matter to you who the anchor is? It was a big deal 20, 30 years ago. Is it still as big a deal now? Jeff, in 2022, isn't it really about the, the weather? You know, who watches, um, who watches TV news anymore? Well, that's a struggle, but people do watch the, the news. At least some people still do. Jeff, I think the viewers are attracted to TV personalities, and that's why they watch a certain local news. It doesn't just have to be the anchor. It could be the weatherman, could be the sports guy. Um, Yes. Um, Jeff, I've been watching Lee Mills in Channel 15, Channel 15 in Madison for many, many years. Extremely professional. Uh, let's see. Jeff, I'm, uh, I have to admit that the anchor does matter for me. I only watch the 12 news anchors as I feel they are professional and they have a certain friendliness about them. Um, yeah, you've got the, you've, you've got that. I'm also sad to see Toya Washington go. Jeff, definitely it's the chemistry of the anchors. Channel 12 has that wrapped up, so there are other stations, I think, where it feels forced and not genuine. I do think that, um, anchors matter. Jeff, I've always watched CBS World News, Noreen O'Donnell. I had a, I felt she had a positive personality, and I think that she's cute. That's, that's the, well, I mean, there, there is an element to that as well. Jeff, my husband and I are big news watchers. We're in our earlier sixties. Yes, it does matter to us who does the news and weather. We have our favorites for weeknights and a different favorite for weekends. 
Um, yeah, um, there, there's no question. One thing I would like to add is my husband and I say this all the time. We watch the news, as do my parents in their 80s. But my children who are in their 30s do not watch nightly news at all. I do feel it will be obsolete one of these days because the younger generations get their news from their phones. Well, I, I do think just like just like newspapers have just, I mean, just tanked over the last you know couple decades – because of the way people get information nowadays, I think that is always going to be the challenge for the, the different news broadcasts as well, where you're trying to figure out, okay, people want the news when they want the news. People want to know. And if you want to know whether the Bucks won their, their game that tipped off at 7 o'clock at night, you don't necessarily want to wait till 1025 to find that out. You, you want to know as soon as the game ends. You want, and that, that is the challenge that I think that, you know, news stations, TV news in particular, is going to have moving forward is how do you end up, you know, dealing with that? And does it matter who ends up delivering that? Number of people are texting in talking about how they just absolutely love Susan Kim, who was a mainstay on the uh, WTMJ TV, you know, morning news for years and years. And now she's, uh, She's doing their four o'clock newscast in ways of, of to avoid having to, I think, get up at two o'clock in the morning. Jeff, I'm a millennial. I get my news from the gas station TV while I'm filling up. Well, I think there's there is an element of that. Actually, Jeff, our choice of local newscast is more determined by the weather forecasters. Some are much better than others. You know, that's that's an interesting point as well. Weather. For, for everybody out there that complains about weather being overhyped or there's too much emphasis on it, I, I, I will tell you this, because when I first started here a long time ago, I'd always have that argument, okay, why are we stressing weather so much? And, and it was explained to me, and then it was shown to me, and it was demonstrated to me with the numbers that when there is a major weather event, that's what attracts listeners, that's what attracts viewers. People want to know because weather is something that affects us all. You might care about the brewers. Your next-door neighbor might not care about the brewers. You might care about politics. Your next-door neighbor might not care at all about politics. But almost everybody cares about the weather because it's something that directly affects all of us, which is why there's so much emphasis that's put on there. Jeff, I think it does absolutely matter, especially when it isn't someone local. There's nothing worse than hearing someone new not have a clue how to pronounce names in Wisconsin. Yeah, that is always one of the elements. Oconomowoc? What? How do you do that? Mukwanago? How do you do that? Yep, there's no question about that. That that's it does. It does help. Jeff, a couple of weeks ago, I spent an hour on the Internet trying to figure out what happened to Brian Goddard. Well, Brian Goddard was, of course, the chief meteorologist at uh, Channel 4, and he, after a long and successful career, left, and now he's with the Mac Fund. Um, so people do, in fact, live. Jeff, I have been watching Alan Krashevsky in Chicago. He just retired after 40 years. I felt very old when I saw him retire. Well, that's that's sort of the element. And this is the, and this is the battle that these TV stations have uh, is they try to assess how important the anchors are to their, their viewership because you have to decide how much money you're going to invest in, in that talent. And it's a tough it's a tough call to make um, for me. Yeah, some Dan says Kinnikinick. Yeah, um, for me, I, I guess I, I think I think local is important, but at the same time, 
I don't necessarily tune in to see, and I, I know a number of people you know, in, in the media, I don't necessarily tune in and say, okay, I'm going to watch X News because so-and-so is on there. I more tune in to say, okay, what's... What what is the emphasis of the newscast, and is this is these newscasts going to be more fluffy? Is it going to be more fast paced? Whatever that's kind of what drives me. And yeah, I, I I do when I watch local news. It's if we're having dinner, what we'll put on the the night the national nightly news at five thirty, and then kind of segue into what the local news is on TV. And and that's pretty much all the local news that I watch. It used to be everybody watched at 10 p.m., not so much anymore. But it is going to be a challenge moving forward to see what what do anchors, do anchors really make a difference or not? And I think as time goes on, the answer is going to be they're going to become less and less important. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Okay, that discussion segues into something, and we only got a couple minutes before the bottom of the hour, but I, I, I am intrigued. It raises this question about if you're not getting your, your news from local TV news, and a lot of people are saying they're, they're not, my question is, where do you get most of your news from? Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the, that's the WTMJ talk and text line. We've only got a couple minutes, but I, I mean... Obviously, if you're listening to a program like mine, you you are interested in current events or else you'd be listening to Stairway to Heaven or something like that. You're obviously interested in current events, and there's many different places you can get it. You can get it from newspapers. You can get it from the Internet. You can get it from radio. You can get it, you know, on your phone. You can get it from television. Where Where is where do you principally get your news from nowadays? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, my answer to this is I, I get my news, I get my news from everywhere, you know, because that's just what I do, but that's part of my job. So you're, I, I mean, I'm open to all these different sources, but I know that that's, that's like work for me. That, that's how you do it. And you prepare for a show. All right. 855-616-1620. You, I get my news from you. Well, thank you. That that's great, Jeff. Um, social media where I can choose to click on reliable links. Well, I think that that's an element too, and that's see that that's one of the things that I think is the challenge for particularly for for TV news nowadays or radio news as well. But it, it's like okay, you want as I was saying earlier, you want your news when you want your news. It's like okay, I don't. I don't want to wait till tomorrow morning to find out, you know, who won the the Senate runoff in Georgia. I I want to know it right now. So I want to click on it to find that. Peggy in Waukesha says, I get all my news from 620 WTMJ. And trust me, we love to hear that. Um, No question. Jeff, when we lived in Grafton for 16 years, we watched TMJ4 religiously, moved to Shawano a year from now. Now what we're doing is we're getting our news from uh, the Green Bay TV stations. Yeah, I understand that. There's no question about it. It's, uh, but, but there are all these challenges. And like I say, newspapers just were so very, very slow to adapt, I think, to the notion that it's going to change. And, and people... That's why there's so much being driven to the Internet, because people don't want to wait till, you know, your morning paper is delivered in the mailbox to find out what happened. And nowadays, with all the cutbacks that they have, you you know, the Brewers game ends at 10 o'clock at night. You're going to have to wait two days before it makes its way into the paper. And that's just that just doesn't work for most people. Phil and Stevens Point. Phil, you're on WTMJ. 
Yeah, thanks for letting me um, call. Thanks for I get the majority of my news right from you guys, from WTMJ or else the station up here, 99.9. And, and as far as the paper is concerned, they used to have like 30, 40, 50 pages, even in our local Stevens Point paper. Now it's only like eight, nine pages. There's no local news, no nothing in there. I actually hear more from you guys or from the other station in Wausau. Right. Outstanding. Well, that Phil, I, I appreciate it. I, I think, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, radio is out to serve it. And that's also one of our constant challenges is we always we always want it to be as relevant as possible. And I know they're always working on the website and things like that. So you get the information uh, when you want the information. Jeff, I'm a young millennial. I listen to your radio station, WTMJ and NPR, for a mix of diverse opinion and news. I also see some stuff on Facebook and Twitter. Um, Jeff, I get a lot of my news from the news break on my phone when it actually just happens, and then also the follow-up on WTMJ. Jeff, for me, I get my news everywhere except for Fox. <laughs> okay, Um Jeff, um, 6.20 and Fox 6 for the weather at 9.45. It's just, you know, it's just interesting to me to find out how all this has changed. Because if we did this topic 25 years ago, I guarantee you that the answers would be, where do you get your news? It would be, well, I, I watch I watch some network, I watch a network local network newscast at 6 o'clock, I watch a local network newscast at 10 o'clock, or I get it from the local paper. And... Nobody is is saying that's where they're getting the information from now. It's just it's diff- different. And Mike Spaulding, who you know, this is your career in news. It, it is interesting how things have changed over the years. Yeah, and I don't know if we were prefacing this with people find all their news on Twitter. Some people are saying to me that Twitter, yeah, that's what we get the most. When we either talk to young people, you know, go to Marquette and talk to their journalism students, or it, you know, people older than I am, you know, that's that's a majority of where people find it. And I don't necessarily see that as a negative, to be to be honest. It is a bit of a a, a, a difference in in uh, thought process for people who do what what we do here on the radio and television and newspapers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the more the more people say they find their news on social media, the more it just to me is important for us to have a strong presence on there because oh, yeah. it's a reality. It's, 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 yeah. It, yeah, it is. It just is the reality. If you're, if you're not on a phone that I don't have with me at this moment, but if you're not on a phone, you're dead. Well, you know, well, right. You, you, you want to be accessible for the news. No, I think that's, that's just the, that is just kind of the nature of how this changes. Now, I mean, and we wrestle with that. Now, what I do is, is sort of different because I'm, I consider myself to be an analyst, like an opinion journalist is what mm-hmm. I would consider myself to be. But as far as like the hard news, people, people want to know what the weather is going to be like. People want to know right now what's happening with the stock market. People want to know what the headlines are. It's time now for Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Put aside the heavy lifting and call the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. And now, here is Jeff Wagner. It's that time of the week, Pop Culture Corner time, presented to you by Palermo's Pizza. What better way to celebrate National Pizza Month than with Palermo's delicious frozen pizzas made right here in Wisconsin for over 55 years. Palermo's is Wisconsin's hometown pizza. I had their new stuffed crust pizza the other day. It is really, really good. No kidding. Uh, Treat yourself to that. All right. Pop Culture Corner, if you're new to the program, we do this at this segment of the program every week. We put aside the heavy lifting, and we just try to take something from the world of pop culture. Sometimes we talk about music. Sometimes it's TV. Sometimes it's restaurants. Sometimes it's sports. Just just whatever. This this week, 
It's kind of based on, again, a conversation I was having with somebody. I call the segment, I don't get what the fuss is all about. I was talking about, now there will be movies that undoubtedly, you know, are are part of the, the popular culture, incredibly popular movies that everybody has seen and everybody loves, except you. You know, it's one of those movies where this is like a blockbuster movie. You run out to see the movie because everybody loves it and everybody's buying tickets to see it or everybody's standing and can't wait for it to drop so you can stream it. And then you sit there and you watch it and you go, I don't get what the fuss is all about. I don't understand why people are so excited. I just flat don't get it. I will give you an example for me. The movie Titanic. All right, Titanic Uh, People just, I mean, it it made a fortune at the box office. I mean, it was there forever. You know, you had all the Titanic-related spinoffs. I I watched it, and it was just, it was almost painful. I mean, I'm like, okay, I I know how this turns out. Most of them die. Let's just just get on with it. And I I watched that, and I I walked out of there, and I'm just shaking my head going, "I, I I don't get it. I don't get why everybody loves this. Okay, you got the love story and you got a young Leonardo DiCaprio, and I, I get all that, Kate Winslet, but it's like, eh, this was just, it was tedious. I didn't get it. So for Pop Culture Corner today, we're going to kind of do a negative. A lot of times we talk about, oh, this is the greatest thing or whatever. I, the topic is, I don't get it. A movie that everybody else loves, and we see some of these during the holiday season. I've got a couple holiday movies that I know everybody loves. Except me, I just don't get it. So I don't get it. The movie that you just don't understand why it is so incredibly popular. Our number is 855-616-1620, um, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. And as we do every every week with Pop Culture Corner, we have a Palermo's Pizza prize package to give away one caller in the exclusive discretion of my producer, Charlie, wins our Palermo's Pizza prize package, which is a coupon for two Palermo's pizzas and this really cool pizza cutter that they have and a bunch of other stuff as well. So that's just for people that call in. They're eligible, but I take your text as well. The topic is, I don't get it. That movie that everybody just absolutely loves and you watch it and you just don't understand. All right, back with your calls and your texts in just a moment. Pop Culture Corner presented by Palermo's Pizza. This is Jeff Wagner's Pop Culture Corner. Now back to Take Your Calls. Here's Jeff Wagner. Pop Culture Corner presented by Palermo's Pizza. I I love this segment. Matter of fact, I just spent the last couple minutes during that commercial break just looking at all the texts we're getting in, and they they all make me smile. (laughs) This is, this is, the, the topic is I don't get it. You know, you know something that just everybody loves, and you just, you know, you go, man, I just, don't get it at all. Okay, before we go to the phones, let me just get, let me go through some of the texts that are coming in quick. Jeff, for me, it's the sixth sense. You see dead people, I see a bad movie. Jeff, for me, Pretty Woman does absolutely nothing for me. Jeff, I'm not a fan of any of the Marvel movies. I just don't know what the fuss is all about. Jeff, for me, it's Pulp Fiction. Um, it, it, it's really interesting how things, one of our other textures sends in and says, I hate Reservoir Dogs. I know everybody loves it. And it's so interesting because I said back, I said, I, Reservoir Dogs, I think, I, I love the movie Reservoir Dogs. I mean, it's violent, it's adult, but I, I think it's Tarantino's best, but he just absolutely hates it. Three or four of our texters 
Okay, they're going there. These are maybe fighting words. They say Christmas story. People, I just we, we hate Christmas story. One of our listeners, Joe, texts in, and and this was going to be one of the ones I mentioned as well. And and don't think less of me. I know I know there are people that absolutely love it. The the movie Elf. I'm with I'm with our listener Joe. I don't get the movie Elf. Oh, and that's my producer Charlie is now screaming at me. You love Elf? No, you hate Elf. Okay, all right. Well, when you can call up, you can play because he hates Elf. I just, I, I don't understand it. I mean, I, I, I like James Caan, and little Will Ferrell goes a long way with me, but I just, I just, I don't get it. And I'm not suggesting that they shouldn't show it, and I'm not suggesting you shouldn't watch it. I'm just saying I don't get it. Okay, movies that you, you just don't understand. Let's start. Um, let's see. We've got uh, Jim and Cudahy. Jim, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How I, are you? I am well, thank you. The movie that you just don't get. Rocky Horror Show. I, I'm sorry. Uh, you've got all these name stars that made it big afterwards. Right. I, ju- I, I just don't get it. Um, I, right, I don't get it. I, I, you know, it's, it's funny you should mention that. I remember seeing, uh, thanks for the call, I, I saw Rocky Horror Picture Show at, at the Oriental Theater. This is way back in the day when they were doing the midnight movies. And I, I walk in, I didn't know what I was going to, I didn't know what I was going to ex- expect. I walk in and there's all these people dressed in drag and things like that. And it's like two in the morning and I'm watching this thing. And I was like, oh my God, won't this ever end? Now, I've come to appreciate the music a little bit more, but I, I agree. Rocky Horror eh, didn't do a lot for me. Okay, um, Eric in Random Lake. Eric, you just don't get what movie? Yeah, I'm probably going to ruffle feathers with this one, Jeff, but It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, those are fighting words. Tell me why. I, I know, but but you but you you didn't like Titanic, and I didn't understand why you didn't like that. <laughs> okay, I don't know. Enough. I just didn't. It just wasn't for me. Everybody raves about It's a Wonderful Life, and people like kind of like Christmas Vacation. People got to watch it every year, and right. I would watch that all the time. But I watched It's a Wonderful Life, and I'm like, why is everybody so <laughs> into this? Yeah, it's, well, it's, maybe it's because it's old. I mean, I'm 50, but I'm thinking. And this is this is predates well, me, but you know. Yeah, well, I think people love Jimmy Stewart, and I think it's got that kind of feel good ending, you know, where you know whenever a bell rings, well, you know, an does, angel gets it but, wings. But yeah, but you just I get it. You yep, don't get yep. it. No, no. Thanks for call. I I understand. I I I get it. It's one of those things that um that's um that you know. I think somebody's taking issue that of the fact that I don't like Elf. Okay, I just I admit I I don't like Elf. Let's see, 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Tracy in Cudahy. Tracy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. Okay, the movie that you just good. don't get. Everybody loves it, but you don't understand, You don't get it. I don't get Fight Club. Brad Pitt is easy on the eyes, and that's what I told your screener, but I don't get it. Do not. I, I, you know, I I didn't get I, I'll tell you this. This is another one, that Fight Club. I, I, I didn't get it either. I, I, it got such hype. And I watched it, and I walked out of there at the end thinking, "What did I just watch?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, right. And, yeah. It was Tyler Durden. I'm like, "What did I just see?" Yeah, it was that. No, so I'm, I'm with that. Was just kind of weird, and and because uh, you know, for me, Brad Pitt could be easy on the eyes or not. I just that, that's I, I don't know that one way or the other. But the movie with with meatloaf and stuff, I'm like, oh, and I like meatloaf too. But it's like, man, no, I'm right. I, I'm with you. No, that was odd. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Fight Club. I didn't get either. Let's let's see eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. We've got Judy in McGuanago. Judy, you're on WTMJ. 
Hi, Jeff. Now, I'm a lot older than you are, but the movie that my husband and I went to, and this would have been in the 60s, mm-hmm. uh, it was called Blow Up. Mm-hmm. Right, they did a remake with John and Travolta. Yep, yep, yep. Everybody was raving about this, and we went, and we almost left, but we kept <laughs> sitting there thinking it's, it's got to get better. Maybe the ending's a good thing, you know. Worst movie we ever went to. Uh, yeah, Blow Up is... No, you, you're right. Uh, no, thanks, Nicole. I know. Blow Up was definitely... There's a couple of those movies that were like that from back then. One of the... One of Jack Nicholson's first movies was a movie called Five Easy Pieces that won all these awards and stuff. And I, I remember I went to watch it, and it was like... I don't get this. I mean, I understand that the plot, which is this guy who's working in the oil fields in Texas or something, and then he, he's, he's really a classically trained musician. And I watched this, and I watched this, and I watched this, and it was like, okay, I want these two and a half hours of my life back. Mike in Mequon. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Um, I think, I think James, James Cameron's got a lock on these movies. He said Titanic. <laughs> yeah. the, one I, the one I don't get is Avatar. I mean, yeah, it's technically good. It's okay story, but I don't see all. You know, it's a cartoon. You know, everything's computer generated, and uh, you know, I just don't get it. You know, you know two three hours for Titanic, two three hours for Avatar. It's a cartoon. I, you know, I just. Again, it's funny that you would call in, Mike. And by the way, Mike, you are the winner of our Palermo's pizza, the, the pizza cutter, and the pizzas and stuff. So you're you're the winner. But I'm oh, with. Wow. Yeah, so th- th- thank you, but I'm I'm with you. I didn't I didn't hate Avatar. That the, the, the sort of science fiction movies that that's not my my biggest thing. Any of I didn't hate Avatar, but I swear I didn't get why it did you know hundreds of millions of dollars in box office. To me, I think it, I think it I think it did a billion. Yeah, I mean, you know what? Yeah, I I just I and again it, it's I mean I didn't hate it, but I was like huh. no. No, I don't hate it either. I just don't get it. No, I'm I'm with you. Thanks for going. No, and I'm not and I'm not rushing out to to see it again. Let's talk to. Let's see. We've got Chris um, in Racine. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Chris. Uh, the movie that I thought I I just don't understand why they won all these awards was Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, back in the day, yeah, that was with uh, Meryl Streep and Dustin Hoffman. I you know and, right it won the Both Oscars. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm with you on that one Chris too. I th- I thought that was I didn't think it was a bad movie, but I didn't get what the what all the fuss was. I I thought 5 years later that could be a movie of the week. You know, you get this couple that's getting divorced and they're fighting over custody of the kid. You know, it's like you know, really. No, thanks for, I I appreciate that. That's you know Kramer versus Kramer was another one and it's kind of interesting because I don't know I don't know how that one is aged. You don't hear a lot about that. Okay, we're getting swamped with text here. Jeff, I hated Risky Business with Tom Cruise. Jeff, Citizen Kane. Yeah. Jeff, the Blair Witch Project. Yeah, I never got – again, I'm not big in horror, but I never got the that that whole thing. Um, um, that whole thing, I didn't think. Um, Jeff, you don't talk about Fight Club. It was a good movie. What's wrong with you? Well, okay, well, I appreciate that. Everybody has different tastes. That's the um, thing. You know, who wants to live in a world where everyone likes everything? Jeff, laugh out loud. I love Pulp Fiction, Fight Club, and Elf. I don't get Forrest Gump. Um, my late wife, Sue, she didn't get Forrest Gump either. I like the movie Forrest Gump, and we went and see it, and she, just, I, she said, I just, I just don't get that at all. Stephen West Bend says, Jeff, for me, it's the big Lebowski. 
I just didn't think it was very funny. That Big Lebowski is this movie that you either love or you you don't love. No question about it. Um, Jenny and Hubertus. Jenny, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, so I'm a Gen Xer, and everybody from my generation loves this movie, Dazed and Confused. I felt it had zero plot, good soundtrack. Your guy said that, too. But I couldn't stand the movie. <laughs> and what, what movie was that? What was your movie? Uh, Dazed and Confused. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that's a... That that's another one again. I I just kind of I, I understand it got like this. Would I go back and watch it again? The answer is no. That that's not one. If I see it on like one of the streaming services or something, dazed and confused. No, I don't think so. I just and you're right. It, it, people just absolutely love that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Yeah. No, thanks for the call. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Jeff. Okay, a number of people surprisingly are mentioning this Star Wars. Jeff, you can have Star Wars and all of them. Um, I have no desire to see them. Happy holidays. A couple people are mentioning Gone with the Wind. Now, I, I mean, maybe that's kind of a generational thing, but Gone with the Wind. Napoleon Dynamite? Yeah, that's one that you either get or don't get. Jeff Rabbit Test with Joan Rivers and Billy Crystal. Um, yeah, okay, there's <laughs> uh, Jeff, the Christmas story. I, you would be surprised at how many people are texting in and saying they just don't get why people love the Christmas story. Jeff, for me, it's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I don't get why people love it. Oh, here's fighting words. Jeff, it's the Princess Bride. Seriously, what the heck? Now, I got to take issue with that because any movie with the late, great Andre the Giant in it, well, you know, how, how can you go wrong? I actually like the Princess Bride a lot. Jeff, La La Land, it won an Oscar. I walked out. Yeah, I didn't quite get that um, as well. Jeff, I can't stand a Christmas story. Huh? Jeff, I don't get any movie with Will Ferrell in it. Jeff, for me, it's Love Story. Well, that was Love Story made a fortune back when it came out in 1972 or 73 or whenever. Um, I'm not sure that aged very well, but people either loved it or hated it. Jeff, for me, it was Vanilla Sky uh, by Cameron Crowe. I never got it. I never, I never got that either. Jeff, for me, it's a fish called Wanda. Now, see, I like the fish called Wanda, but that's. That's the fun thing about segments like this, because we all have different tastes, because I know I'm getting emails, how dare you say this isn't good, or what does that lady know when she says she doesn't like that? But the truth is, it's one of these things. Popular movies sometimes, there's always going to be that one that you just flat out don't get. Elf, for me, would be one of those. Not saying don't watch it, I'm just saying I don't get it. All right, that's Pop Culture Corner for this week.